The Lifestylist, episode 28, featuring Timo Aho Pelto. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. What up, what up? It's Luke Story here, bringing you another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Today's show is all about jet lag and features guest Timo Ahapelto from a company called Valky that makes the human charger. What's the human charger? It's a crazy ass piece of technology that goes on your head and helps with jet lag. So traveling is something I love to do, but I only love the part when you get there and when you get home. The in-between part just wrecks me. So I'm always on a constant search to come up with travel and jet lag strategies to make that easier. And the human charger is one of my favorites. So I had to find out what the hell makes this thing work. And we ended up having a great conversation and covering all sorts of different elements of air travel and how we can beat that. So I'm super stoked to bring you this episode with Timo Ahapelto. Our show today, folks, is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, one of my favorite companies in the world of medicinal mushrooms. So Four Sigmatic make these amazing little packets of herbal and superfood elixirs. They're delicious, they're super potent, very high quality herbs, and they're really, really easy to use. So they're a standalone drink. You can make them hot or cold. They come in a little packet. It's a powder. You stir it up, blend it. You're good to go. Or you can add it to an existing drink, like a Bulletproof coffee, for example. If you caught my episode one and got the episode upgrade, or you happen to have seen it on YouTube, I make an amazing recipe called Supercharged Bulletproof Coffee, in which I use Four Sigmatic Herbs. So it's one of my favorite companies. I use their stuff all the time. I absolutely stand behind them. They are badass. What's even more badass is that I got you a little hookup, my friend. That's right. We got you covered with a 15% off coupon at foursigmatic.com. Go to the site, enter this code, the lifestylist, and you will save 15%. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code, the lifestylist, for a 15% discount. And if you'd like a recommendation on where to start once you get there, I would definitely get cracking on the Chaga and the Rishi blends. Those are two of my very favorite drinks. And Chaga is kind of difficult to make on your own. And when you boil it like I do, you really only get the water extraction and not the fat-soluble extraction in which you would have to use alcohol. So they use a dual extraction, which you're going to hear about in episode eight with Taro Isacalpula, the co-founder of the company. So enjoy your medicinal mushrooms, stay healthy, stay strong, stay well, enjoy the lifestyle. Timo Ahapelto is executive chairman of the board at Valkey. He's also an entrepreneur and investor at Lifeline Ventures. He was the first investor in game developer Supercell of Clash of Clans, Heyday, and Boom Beach fame, and is involved in Zen Robotics, a company behind the world's first artificial intelligence-powered waste sorting system. But most of all, Timo is an expert on air travel and avoiding jet lag, which is what we're going to talk about. Here we are with Timo. Welcome to the show, buddy. 
Hey, thanks. And I'm here in Finland, like, I guess, like 11 hours away from you. Yeah, that's hard to imagine. You know, it's it's funny. I had another guest. Uh, I guess that episode would have aired by now um, with a guy named Taro, who's also obviously a Finn, and uh, he's from a company called Four Sigmatic. And it's it's just so weird. Like, I, I don't know any French people. Never really have my whole life, but I seem to have um, a lot <laughs> a lot of Finns in my life. It's interesting, and it seems like in sort of the health tech startup world, there's also a lot of Finnish companies and Finnish people involved in that. It's almost like you guys have a little health Silicon Valley going over there in Helsinki. It's trip. Yeah, that's probably right. I mean, we are, I guess, overpresented. I mean, there's only 5.5 million of Finns uh, on this planet. <laughs> so if you happen to know already two by now, I mean, it cannot be a coincidence, I guess. Well, check it out. When I moved to LA, I met a ton of them and really like about five or six of my closest friends and guys that I was playing music with at the time were all from Finland. So my first five years in Hollywood, I mean, every time, you know, a Finnish band would come over um, to the States and play in LA, I would, you know, meet them and play with them and all this stuff. So it's just, it's strange out of all countries, I have sort of this affiliation. But anyway, so there you are. And uh, you're not in the midnight sun phase yet there, are you, where it doesn't get dark for a while? Yeah, we're actually quite close. It's right now like uh, 10 p.m. and I'm living in Helsinki, which is south of Finland. And right. the sun goes down around like midnight right now. And it's away oh, for, wow. yeah, yeah, and it's away for, let's say, three, four hours and then it gets back. But if I travel uh, 600 kilometers or like three to 400 miles up north from where I'm right now, it's constant sun. So the sun is going to get down next sometime, you know, end of June, early August. That is so strange. I've always wondered because I, you know, I've of course heard about that. I had one friend from Lapland who grew up there and he used to tell me about that. And I was just like, I mean, it sounds okay in the summer, but what I would be concerned about, and I guess this has a lot to do with the high rate of alcoholism and suicide in Scandinavia. <laughs> but it's like, what happens in the winter when you don't get any sun? Because I'm, you know, I'm in LA now. And right now we have this thing called June gloom. It's like yeah. people vi visit here and um, they're always so weirded out because it's freezing and cloudy in June all the time for so many years now. And uh, I went outside today and I was kind of like a little bit, I was a little depressed, you know, I was just like, oh man, where's the sun? I can't imagine having weeks on end where, you know, you just get a little peak of, I guess, what looks like dusk and then it just goes back dark again. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, it, it is like really terrible. And, and, and you can kind of uh, finish summer on these latitudes. It's like two to three months long, maybe closer to two months. And it's so intense. I mean, people are entirely different human beings during summertime than compared to winter. You know, the kids are out there until, you know, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. In the winter time, they're already fully, you know, tired to go to bed at, you know, 6 or 7. I mean, people just sleep more. They spend more time indoors. I guess they would benefit from human charger, which we will discuss in the show and, uh, and, and, and all that. But there is a very heavy seasonality on people's moods and, uh, and, and there's a lot of scientific evidence that it actually varies a lot by the amount of light you just naturally get. Right. Yeah, it's so weird because you think about, you know, the origins of man and it seemed like we came from somewhere around the equator. I mean, I'm I'm no geologist or, you know, anthropologist or whatever kind of person studies such things, but from my understanding, which is very limited, 
you know, we seem to have came from, uh, evolved from places where there was much sun and sort of migrated into these more remote northern and southern areas. But it seems that human biology is kind of still wired to really need the sun. And in fact, um, I did a whole episode recently on sun exposure and how important that is to get it on your skin and in your eyes. And it's just interesting that humans have sort of migrated into places where the light exposure isn't necessarily supportive to their biology. Yeah, you are totally right. And I mean, uh, light in general, it's not really well understood currently. I mean, uh, I discussed, for example, uh, with Dr. Uh, Rosenthal, uh, American, who kind of a really, he wrote a book called Winner Blues and, uh, and, and, and about seasonal affective disorder and about the lack of light. And, uh, and he started this whole science in 80s, so like, 30 years back right now, 35 years back right now. And, and he told me that when he started to cure people with light who were seasonally depressed, everybody was saying that, hey, you can't cure people with light. It's only light. I mean, you need to have pharmaceuticals, right? So he has been pushing with his colleagues and, and obviously scientists and doctors around the world about how important the light is. And currently you have, you know, some companies like Philips, for example, which is a European, like, tech conglomerate, they are almost like branding the whole company around light. And humans are like day active animals. I mean, we are mammals, we are kind of a day active. So we are supposed to sleep during the night, we are supposed to wake up in the morning, you know, go out of the cave, you know, start hunting for food, you know, take care of the kids, you know, prepare the food and eat. And then in the evening, we are supposed to go back to cave to sleep, right? So this like the daily exposure to sunlight is super important and it is exactly like you said i mean if you look at the gene pool of of modern human it hasn't actually evolved that much from the days when we were really living on an equator and and our kind of a whole biology is 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 really paced by the sun i mean the whole life on the earth is kind of a really dependent on the sun and the rhythmicity and, and all that. And I mean, poor me, I mean, I'm living here in Finland and I'm totally out of sync. <laughs> in, in summertime, I have constant sun and in wintertime, I have no sun. And, and, and that, of course, kind of affects the mood quite, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I'm very well aware of that. And I think that's why I've stayed in Los Angeles for so long. But I want to I back up a little bit and ask you, because I definitely, we're going to dive definitely deeply into the whole light thing. And, um, and I, I don't want to forget to cover something. And that is, you know, how did you get involved in this business anyway? Like what led you into this, you know, sort of health tech startup world? Yeah, so... Um I was studying technology in a university and uh, I was looking my first summer job coming from a very traditional Finnish family where your dad is an engineer and your mother is a nurse. <laughs> I guess it's kind of emerging those two and I'm becoming kind of a health tech guy. Uh, Nokia, so the mobile phone maker, uh, was like very strong at that time and I just went to their recruiting booth in a university student fair and, and I said that, you know, I want to do something at the crossroads of technology and healthcare. And then there was just one guy who said that, hey, I have something for you. And I ended up finding myself in a lab, you know, developing some of the world's first remote health monitoring solutions. And, and that was really the start. And, uh, 
And, and, and then when I graduated, I, I've always really wanted to build my own companies and being an entrepreneur. And, and then I built a few ones. And, and then I turned investor. And, and, and being an investor in, in many companies is, is really rewarding because you can kind of uh, live 20 lives at the same time. I mean, if you are running only one company, it's, it's your own baby and, and it has the benefits that it brings and the excitement and, and, and everything, you know, to be building it. But if you have invested in 20 companies and you're working with 20 companies, you can kind of have 20 lives on a parallel, which is like super exciting. That's interesting. Yeah, I have a friend named Constantine from Germany, and he he does a lot of the same kind of investing and stuff that you're into. And it's that way too. I'm like, I go, what are you doing for work right now? I was like, oh, I'm working for, with eight companies, you know. But it's, he has the ability to do that because he doesn't own them, so he does consulting and you know raises capital and all these different things. And I, I always thought that was interesting. So I I kind of wanted to get your background. I appreciate that. So what led you ending up at Valky? Yeah, uh, Valky, I mean, I'm always, um, we have always been kind of uh, with my partner, we have always been taking like a very controversial investments. And, and uh, some of them have been like hyper successful, like I think that a lot of listeners are playing, for example, Class of Clans or Heyday, those like a hit games by Supercell, which is a Finnish games company. So we were the first investors in Supercell. Uh, we have been investing in artificial intelligence-powered waste-sorting robots and, and so forth. And, and, and when I met two guys who said that they have a company called Walki, which actually means light in Finnish, and, and, and they said that they are neurobiologists, I almost immediately somehow you know, clicked that, hey, this needs to, do, I mean, this has something to do with the brains and with the lights and illuminating the brain. I just somehow kind of... Uh, got the idea without even hearing about the company. And when I met the guys, the story was like spectacular and hilarious at the same time. So there were two guys, uh, one engineer uh, who was very heavily seasonally depressed. So he was like totally useless during winter time. So he was just sleeping like 14 hours a day and, and not able to function and, and, and all that. So he was really suffering from this. Uh, seasonal depression and, and then there was another guy who was a physiologist and, and a scientist like studying how the human you know nervous system works for the whole of his life and, and, and they, they have been getting together and the, and the engineer guy had been telling to the neurobiologist that hey uh, I'm going to light my whole house so I'm just going to invest like 20,000 euros into this illumination because I'm fed up with this you know, constant darkness in Finland. And, and the neurobiologist uh, said that, hey, you don't need to light your house. I mean, there's a lot of studies in animals, not in humans, but in animals, that actually in order to get the refreshing effect of light, you don't necessarily need to light your eyes. You don't need to kind of feel the light necessarily via the eyes, but you need to illuminate your head, because that's where you have all the photosensitive regions and, and that's where all the serotonin and dopamine and these sort of hormonal functions are controlled. And then they started the trial and at first they were able to cure the other person who became the co-founder of Valkis or the engineering guy. And, and then they were able to start curing a lot of their own friends from seasonal affective disorder, so the winter blues, so feeling bad when it's it's really dark. And then that was the, really the start of the company. So there was this like uh, ethos of, hey, we are 
curing our friends. And, and there was this craziness about like the ex Nokia engineer figuring out that, you know, people actually stick things into their ears like earplugs. And, and, and that's like the direct route into the human brain to illuminate those areas. So that's how I got involved. And, and, uh, and, and, and I've been like a super active with the company. I've been a CEO for a few years and, uh, and, and, and I've been a board member and I've been an investor and I've been a salesperson and I've been helping with the science and, 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 and everything. So it has, been a, it has been a really interesting journey, I would say. And now you're the one uh, being on podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, add, add that to the list. <laughs> that, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, I, of course, am very familiar with the human charger. I think I found out about it through Ari Mizell's podcast, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm obsessed with all things jet lag hacking and travel hacking because... I love to go to different destinations. It's one of my passions, but I can't stand to travel, if that makes any sense, right? So people say, I love traveling. Well, yeah. I hate traveling. I just like going to different places. Um, but I really you know, have a lot of issues, especially with air travel. So that immediately piqued my interest, and I ordered one, and I've been using it for, I don't know, maybe close to a year now, if not... All right. um, a few months, yeah. So I'm I'm familiar with it, and I, I'm a definitely like a believer because I track so many things involved in air travel, and I fly quite a bit. So I definitely notice if something's working. But for the people who aren't familiar, give us a little background on how the human charger works and what it is. Yeah. So the human charger, uh, you know, the way it looks, it 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 looks like an iPod, right? Uh, it's, it's a small device, uh, two earplugs, like in an iPod, but it's not music, it's actually light. So they're like light emitting, you know, earplugs that you put into your ears. Uh, you press one button and it gives you 12 minutes of light uh, via ear canal into your brain. So that's how it looks and that's how it works. And, and what that 12 minutes does, uh, it activates those photosensitive areas, so the light-sensitive areas in your brain that are, are really important for the things like circadian rhythm, uh, the things like hormonal functions, and, 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 and these are the two, two most essential things. Uh, why this is then important for jet lag? Um, in jet lag is really uh, it's a circadian rhythm sleep disorder, so if you go and look for the kind of medical books, you know, jet lag equals the circadian rhythm sleep disorder. It's one of those, which basically means that your body clock is out of sync with the external light conditions. And that's where the jet lag comes. I mean, you leave from one place and you land in another place and it's totally dark, but your biological or, or your body clock is thinking that it should be light out there because you're in an old you know, time zone. And then that causes all sorts of disturbances like uh, dizziness, tiredness, even headaches, nausea, and you know, in general, not feeling good. And then the way to get rid of that feeling is obviously to adapt to the time zone where you're traveling, and, and you can speed that adaptation with human charger. So if you are using human charger while you're traveling, in our clinical trials, or the kind of a population have been able to adapt approximately at double speed. So if it takes like uh, three days to adapt to the time zone with human charger it, it only takes like one day plus so that it means that you're able to adapt in like a two two x speed 
And, and, and then people who are using human charger, they feel more energized when they are landing because of this refreshing, kind of a general re refreshing effect of light. And, and now you are then asking that, how can it be that the light that you are casting into, onto your head is actually you know, changing your body clock? Well, you have different hormones which are basically controlling your body. Uh, you have obviously melatonin, which is so-called night hormone. So if I make it super simplified, it means that when you go to bed, you know, your melatonin levels start peaking and, and, and then they are at the peak at midnight and then when you wake up, they are low, right? So it's the kind of a curve. And, and, and then you have serotonin and noradrenaline and some other hormones which are called day hormones and, and they work vice versa. So they are at the lowest point in the night and they are at the highest point during the day. And, and now light is actually controlling this, these hormones, basically, just to oversimplify it. And, and right now in jet lag, in an airplane, you don't get the light exposure, you don't get an effective light exposure, it's very difficult to pace yourself. And right now projecting light onto those areas on your head that are sensitive to light is, is kind of a speeding up the adaptation to the time zone. I know that this sounds complicated. I hope that I was able to structure it, but uh, if it sounded like too scientific or too something, I mean, please ask clarifications, I would say. I think you did a great job of uh, presenting it in a simple way. Um, <laughs> to me, I mean, my friends are just used to my shenanigans. I always have some <laughs> electrode hooked up to my head or something. I mean, I'm, I'm always doing really weird stuff. But um, for those of you listening, you know, to give you a little clarity here. So you have these little yeah. earbuds, right? And you have, like he said, kind of it's like a little iPod. And then you have these earbuds um, that go into your ears. And there's this bright, like, LED blue light shining out of them. And it's it's funny because when I'm traveling and I'm using the human charger, um, I you know I just put it in my pocket, and then what's really cool is it has an app on your iPhone that notifies you when is the right time to get that 12 minutes in. But what's funny is sometimes I find that the 12 minutes comes like when I'm in the middle of a business <laughs> meeting or you know I'm doing something where you're not supposed to be sitting there listening to music, and I can see when I put them in, people are going like, "Dude, are you serious? <laughs> what are you doing right now? <laughs> now you have to like listen to music." But, uh, and then they see light shining out of it and it's just, you know, it's crazy. But anyway, so yeah, the light shines onto your brain. So why would we, why would we not just put on some special glasses, for example, that, you know, shine blue light into the retina? Why would we want to put it in, in the ear canal? I think the weird thing about it to me is that it's hard for me to imagine that the brain tissue itself is able to assimilate light and make something out of it because there's no retina in your ears. Yeah. How does that work? So, so the ear is, ear, is, ear is not the receptor here. So the receptor is really the brain tissue. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of studies, if you go and dig out, that um, actually the skull is, is letting a lot of light to go inside of your head. So, so there, there are studies done uh, where people are kind of concluding that on, on a shiny day, on an equator, where we actually should be, you could read a book in, in the center of the brain. So, so there's so much light that you could actually, you know, recognize letters from, from a piece of paper if, if you somehow would get inside of a human brain and in, into its very center. And then there's a lot of research in the US and, and, and then in Finland by the University of Oulu, which is north of Finland, 
and for example the Allen Brain Atlas in, in the US, they have kind of uh, studied the human brain and, and then they have actually concluded that the human brain has these um, photosensitive receptors called uh, opsin proteins uh, all over the brain basically. So all of these key brain areas that are controlling hormones are, are sensitive to light and they belong to the same family of proteins as belong the ones that you have in retina. They are also opsin proteins. I mean your skin is having opsin proteins. You were talking in your previous podcasts about you know, the effect of sun and why you need it to use skin. I mean, skin has exactly these same proteins which are sensitive to light and, and they have this anti-inflammatory kind of uh, mediation and, and so forth. Um, and, and, and this is completely natural. I mean, if you believe in evolution or, or you know, similarities between species and, and all that, I mean, uh, I, as an organ, is a relatively new thing. I mean, if you think about the bacteria and, and, and all that. And, and, and the central nervous system has kind of developed. Um, it's more common in nature than I, let's put it this way, just to oversimplify again. So, so why wouldn't the nature have used the same proteins that you kind of already have in your central nervous system, i.e. the brain, to develop the eye, right? So nature is kind of reusing the building blocks this way. So it's kind of a completely natural. And if you have those proteins in your head and if the light is penetrating through your skull, there is a function for them. And then there's actually surprisingly a lot of studies about illuminating uh, the non-ocular, so the, something else that, than your eyes uh, in animals. So for example, you can change uh, the circadian clock of pigeon, so the, a bird, by projecting light on the skull, but kind of a blocking the eyes. So it's kind of a, outside of the research that has been done here, there's a lot of research that are kind of showing that it's not the eyes that are needed, it's actually the brain that is needed. What comes then to the projecting blue light into eyes, that's actually very dangerous in a way that there's this uh, effect called uh, blue light hazard. Uh, which is very well known right now in the in the era of LED lights because a lot of LED lights are emitting a lot of blue and rich kind of a light and then that light goes direct to your retina uh, through your eye and it, it's not controlled in a way that uh, it can be kind of a harmful for the eye but uh, but that's a little bit of a different story. I think that the key thing here is that uh, uh, to get enough light from a portable light source is, is, is very difficult. So, I mean, the other way how you could get the similar effect like you get with human charger would be to carry a, a very big portable light while you are traveling and I'm just, you know, sitting next to it for half an hour or one hour, you know, every couple of hours. I mean, effectively you would get the similar type of efficacy via that type of method. Right, and then people, in my case at least, would think I'm even more weird. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. why are you carrying around yeah. a spotlight? Yeah, that that, that totally makes sense. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, that's the thing. I, I think we're probably due for a lighting revolution in the near future. I mean, now even the iPhone, it has something in it that shuts down the light at certain times, the blue light, right? And if you're listening to this, trust me, I'll I'll have probably many episodes about. Um, some of the risks of blue light exposure. But I think what will happen as, as this becomes more widely known, that there'll be a way to manufacture lighting for your home and technology that has the complete spectrum of light. 
And I remember years ago, I mean, this is when incandescent bulbs were still were still cool yeah. and still readily available. But years, I mean, this is going back, God, 15, 16 years ago. Um, you know, I, I always just kind of align myself with nature. Like, what does nature do? And I know that I'm not living a natural life. Artificial lighting is not natural, but what's the closest I can get to sunlight? And so I started using these full-spectrum incandescent bulbs years ago. And... Um, and I, and I still use those to this day, and I, I just feel better with those in the daytime. But I used to use them at night, too, and I didn't know that I was destroying my melatonin production. And now that's kind of a hot topic on the health scene that at night you don't want blue light because that's that's sending the message to your brain that it's solar noon. <laughs> and so that's going to totally disrupt your whole circadian rhythm and hormones, and it just wreaks havoc. And there's, of course, all sorts of links to cancer with people that work night shifts and all kinds of stuff now, which is amazing. But it's still uh, relatively difficult to get a hold of full-spectrum lighting, and all of these LED lights don't have the other spectrums of light that are natural. So it's like just the noon blue light without, you know, the purple or the red light, which would be present in the morning or in the afternoon, right? So what I've done, and it's it's been kind of fun, and now a lot of people are starting to ask me about this, and this has nothing to do with jet lag or travel, but I'm getting back to uh, to using blue light intentionally, which is what we're talking about. But what I've done is sort of wired my home where I have full spectrum lighting on during the day when I want to be alert and I want to produce yeah. cortisol, right? And then once it gets dark naturally and the sun goes down, I stop all of that lighting and I have another set of lighting in the house using lamps and just different switches and stuff that's all uh, amber lighting. So it's been really cool and what's happened is it's helped my sleep a lot, but it's also enabled me just to be much more relaxed in the evening. So when the sun naturally goes down, I'm only seeing the spectrum of light. And this includes my phone, my computer, everything. I mean, I'm like, I'm totally psychotic about it. I'm, it's like I'll wear my orange glasses if I have to turn on all the bright lights, you know. And again, I'm, I'm nuts, but I just, I want to feel good and I want to be optimal. So I, I do everything I can. You know, if I travel or something or I'm out, I mean, whatever. Sometimes you take one for the team and you have some fun. But what I found is that I'm able to go to bed much earlier and just relax at night because my lighting experience is much more in accordance with my with my biology and with my evolution. So going back for the past couple hundred thousand years or so, human beings would have been around the fire at night, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this, uh, this you know, I, I'm sure that there are, you know, people listening to this and thinking that these guys are, you know, totally out of whack or something. But, but I mean, everything that you say, I, I like a fully agree to. And, uh, and, and then again, like getting back to where we started is that I really believe that there's going to be this light revolution coming and, and, and people and medicine and, and, and health professionals and everybody, companies who are producing this are becoming more and more aware of the potential that it has. And, and, and if you take it to the extreme conditions, uh, take it to Lapland, which is north of Finland, you know, where the sun never gets up <laughs> during the winter months. If you look at the existence of, of a very severe form of winter blues called seasonal affective disorder, which is very prevalent there, I mean, even up to one out of 10 people can have relatively severe symptoms. Uh, the symptoms are exactly the opposite of what you just said. I mean, people are sleeping a lot. Uh, the sleep quality is really bad. So even if they are sleeping a lot, they don't sleep well. 
they are eating a lot in odd times. I mean, if you are really severely depressed during winter time, you can gain weight, like a lot of weight, uh, during the winter months, and, and and then you are getting slim again in summer because you get, and then all of this, you know, craving for sweets, craving for carbohydrates. Uh, not being able to fall asleep, you know, waking up during the night and, and all that. It's, it's, the scientists are currently thinking that it's the result of being out of sync with your environment in winter months. So, so nobody really knows why there is winter blues, but, but people are starting to understand and the science is starting to understand that it's because of this out-synchronization of yourself. I mean, if I'm here in Finland and I'm waking up even in Helsinki latitudes, I'm waking up at 7 a.m., my equator genes would be expecting that the sun is up there and it's totally like nice morning, but basically it's going to be dark for another four hours still, right? And, and I'm just so out of sync. The same happens with jet lag, you know. You wake up, your body thinks that it's a day, but you are in the middle of the night in a hotel room, and, and, and that is what is kind of causing these symptoms. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, you know, like you said, people listening to this could think, God, these guys are weird. Like, who cares? Just live your life. But the thing about it is, is there's there's no going backward into natural living. I mean, it'd be very difficult to just drop out of society and go live on a mountaintop somewhere, you know, in absolute harmony with nature. And I don't think you know, myself or many people would want to give up the modern conveniences, like having an iPhone at your disposal. But to me, it's about it's about mimicking that or getting as close as you can to it while living your life like a normal person. And a lot of these things I think that people find to be maybe strange or like are a lot of work um, in my own life subjectively, they just become part of my routine. So it's like when I see the sun going down, I'm just in the habit and it's been, I don't know, probably a year, if not two years, I've kind of been working on this lighting thing. And now it's just automatic. I just don't turn on all the set of blue lights at night at home. And it's it's just nice and calming and relaxing. And that's the way it is. And I try not to get too controlling and freaky about it. If, you know, if I have to have them on or I want to watch a movie or whatever, then it just is what it is. But I don't think you can really refute nature. It's like whatever designed the universe and this planet and all the inhabitants of it um, had some sort of intelligence working, right? And yeah. you, you can't outsmart that um, and think that, you know, what we call progress is going to be good for you and necessarily produce you know, longevity and physical health. So on that note, something that I do, and I just made this up, so I'm curious if like it's doing anything or if it has any negative effects, but sometimes in the morning, if I'm unable to get out and get my eyes and my skin right into the sun, which I, I normally do, I'll do a little sun gazing as the sun comes up or just get outside and like, take my shirt off in the morning and just kind of do some deep breathing and stretch a little bit and try and get some sun in my eyes. But if I'm unable to do that or I'm just in a hurry, sometimes what I'll do is I'll do the human charger in my ears even when I'm not traveling. And it could be psychosomatic, but I feel that it makes me more alert and kind of wakes me up. So I'm using it as a performance hack even while I'm just at home. Am I crazy or is that useful? No, no, you're not crazy. Uh, I mean, light has exactly that effect that you described. I mean, if you're able to get out there and you are like doing a little bit sun bathing, you know, enjoying that warm and, you know, light and then everything else. That's a signal to your body 
that, hey, it's morning, it's time to get up, it's time to be alert. I mean, if, if you wouldn't be alert, you know, the lion would eat you, right? <laughs> right. So, so, so that's the thing, you are getting out of the cave, right? And, and it's morning, you should be alert and, you know, start doing your things. Uh, you know, these days you're on a business trip or you're busy, you just have a breakfast, you hop on a you know, tube or taxi or you go to an airplane, you go to a different place, you sit in a meeting room and, and you just never get the sun. That's how a lot of people are using Human Charger and that's how I'm using it myself as well. Uh, I'm not using it every morning during the summer months, uh, but, but I'm using it during autumns and, and, and kind of uh, in the springtime when it's not that a lot of sun on the latitudes where I am. And I'm feeling the same way. I know a lot of people are using it and, and I like this having this refreshing effect. And I think that you are just realizing that it's not like psychosomatic placebo or anything like that, I believe. Yeah, it, it, it totally makes sense. I mean, again, just going back to just basic common sense and what goes on in nature, I think that's where I got the idea. And it, it seems to have an effect, you know. And you know what? Um, with a lot of this stuff, <laughs> Timo, I don't really care if it's placebo anyway. I mean, it's like, God, I've probably spent $100,000 on supplements in my life, and they could have just been total garbage, but I thought they were helping me. So by by that alone, they probably did. But I, you know, I'm I'm a believer here, and I think that this is not a placebo thing because um, the effects are pretty noticeable. And uh, you know, I just am a big fan of of kind of playing with light, especially lately. I mean, I have another device that I use where I shine a red laser up my nasal passages, and I do this at night to activate mitochondria. And that's, you know, scientifically valid also, but again, you know, looks pretty strange. Now, could you not do any of this crap and be happy and have a great life and be healthy? Probably, but like, why not optimize, you know? Yeah, that's right. And I wanted to get back to the whole jet lag thing because I, I get the circadian rhythm piece, you know, that we're out of sync and obviously human beings would never naturally be you know flying through the air at 35,000 feet at you know a few hundred miles an hour but what else do you think is going on there and I don't know if you'll even have an answer for me here but I've noticed that even if I don't cross a time zone like say I'm in LA and I could fly to Vancouver or to Cancun or something right just stay on mm -hmm. the west coast it seems to me that just going up and down in an airplane will destroy me. Now, I don't get as tweaked as I would if I fly to London or New York or something like that, but I still notice some really negative effects. So do you happen to know anything else about why air travel would be so disruptive to some people? Yeah, so some of these are obviously the usual suspects i mean if you look at the airline videos they say that you know don't drink alcohol and don't drink coffee and and make sure that you drink a lot of water because you are dehydrating that's that's one thing that you know the studies have shown that you should really you know take care about the dehydration uh, the second thing uh, the airplane air quality is typically very bad you know, there's a lot of carbon dioxide, there's very little oxygen, especially at the times when you are taking off. And that's a good kind of a travel hack. Uh, I mean, the amount of oxygen is lowest in an airplane at the time when it's taking off. So if you really want to fall asleep, <laughs> that's the best time to try to fall asleep is, is when the plane is taking off. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so that's the 
that's the, I mean, next time when you're flying and, and I just kind of a try to concentrate and kind of a sense how you feel, there's a likelihood that, you know, when you are rolling off the, off, off the runway and, and when you're getting in the air, you are feeling tired. And, and, and one of the reasons is, is, you know, that the oxygen levels are getting low. On that note, uh, just because I've tried so many hacks, I probably couldn't say them all in one sentence and remember them. But on the oxygen thing, for those of you listening, um, you know, enter at your own risk. I'm not sure how the TSA feels about this, but um, what I normally do is I buy these little oxygen canisters and I bring them in my bag. And oddly enough, I've never had them taken away, although I do believe that it's technically against the rules. <laughs> yeah. It's compressed air, you know? I don't know. They're in my carry-on. If they don't take them away, you know, they're none the wiser. But I um, actually, I stopped doing this because it was just ridiculous and so much work, but I would carry a little um, pulse oximeter and I would check my oxygen levels throughout the flight. And when I ever dropped too low, I'd like huff on this oxygen. And then I stopped checking and now I just periodically do that. And that seemed to be a slight improvement um, there because, I mean, I have the proof right there. I'm checking, you know, where my oxygen yeah. is. So that was a good that was a good hack for that. And then also on the air quality, you know, I haven't done this, but a friend of mine does this. He got a little portable ionizer, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, kills germs and all this kind of stuff. And so it hangs on a necklace. It's about as big as, I don't know, maybe as big as an iPhone or a little bit smaller. It's got, it's battery powered and it's a little necklace and you just keep that on right kind of under your chin and it cleans the air that you're breathing in. And this is more for just germs and bacteria and all the yeah, yeah. the stank stuff that's you know going through the air in the airplane. It's all sort of recirculating, right? So those were two things that I have discovered for the air quality. So carry on. What else is it up there that's making us crazy? Yeah, and, 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 and then the third thing, um, and I mean, if, if you would kind of extrapolate, and, and this I haven't really you know read any scientific papers or anything, but I would think that, if you have a bad air quality in an airplane, it puts a stress on your immune system because it needs to start killing all those germs, right? But then the third thing is, is just a kind of a general that people are actually usually uh, mixing with jet lag is just this general tiredness. I mean, usually when you're traveling, uh, you're sitting in a car, you are lining up in a hot airport, you know, you are lining up in an airplane, you're sitting there, you're waiting, you get bored, you know, you get some people even get anxious in an airplane. Then you are, you know, lining, lining again when you are landing on the other side. So it's just this like a general getting tired when you are traveling. And 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 when I've been analyzing myself and trying to figure out that why I'm getting tired when I'm on travel, some of that, if I'm not crossing time zones, it must really be that it's just tiring in general. You know, to sit in a car sit in an airplane, sit in every place. And, and, and of course, when you are there, I mean, in, in general, I mean, there's this big trend of like sitting on a chair is, is like killing you. So you, your metabolism is, is slowing down and then everything else. So if you're in an airplane, you know, static for three hours, I mean, it, it's not good for you in any case. Um, you know, your metabolism rates go, goes down and it's not how you are meant to be back to this kind of uh, what the humans are meant to do. They're not meant to be still for three or four hours. Yeah, yeah. I'm also the guy on the plane. I mean, I make quite a spectacle of myself with all the gadgets and stuff that I bring, but I'm also the guy on the plane that's doing squats and yoga poses and, 
you know, shake doing like my little, um, you know, Tai Chi shaking and all this kind of crazy stuff up by the bathroom. It's like I have to take over a whole area by the be the by the flight attendant station, you know, to kind of do yeah. my thing. But I don't see how people sit there the whole time. I mean, I would go crazy, a, eh? and it just starts to feel so stagnant, you know. Something I did with the movement. I don't know if you've heard of this or would have any, you know, logic to it. Again, I just try anything to make flying easier on me. But something I did is I got this really powerful um, uh, compression shirt and then some compression socks that really, well, they're not really socks. They're kind of calf socks, right? Yeah. So your feet are out. And I'm, I always just wear like my crazy barefoot sandals so I can be essentially barefoot and not get swollen feet and stuff. But that also seemed to help having all of that compression. Do you know, do you happen to know why that would be? Because I just heard it and I was like, I'm trying it. I don't really care why. I'm just going to throw everything with the kitchen sink at this. Does that make any sense to you on any level? Yeah, of course. I mean, the compression, it can be even like a danger for some people if they don't, you know, wear those like a compression things. And the reason is just, you know, when you are in this like a uh, stiff pose so you are just on a chair in an airplane for three or four hours i mean it's obviously you're not in a in a place where you know your circulation would be optimal to start with but then as you know how the blood is circulating around your body is that you know the heart is pumping it to your veins in your legs and, and then you know your muscles are you know when you're walking and when you're moving around, you know, you, you know, your muscles are kind of a pushing it back to your heart, kind of uh, via the veins. And then obviously if your muscles are not moving that much and you're in a very difficult pose, unless you have these compression socks that are kind of making it easier for the circulation to work, it, it can be very difficult. So your blood kind of starts to you know, clutter on your on, on your legs, for example, and, and, and then some people are even getting medical conditions because of that. So that's the kind of a science before behind right, compression. Right, right, okay. Yeah. That that totally yeah. makes sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that then sort of like making it less laborious on your body to move your blood around. Yeah, yeah. This is like a super oversimplification of course. Yeah. But, uh, that's I mean the... but these these things kind of work and to actually the older you get the more you should pay attention to this. And, and in, in all of these clinical trials that we have done with human charger, uh, kind of a portable uh, light ear pods, you know, the older you get, the more you suffer from jet lag. I mean, it, it seems in a way that people who are around their 20s, you know, they can hop time zones, they can go from place A to place B, and, and, and unless they're special ones, uh, they don't have that much jet lag, so they're kind of able to get around. But, but when you get to your 30s, to your 40s, and then even 50s, I mean, the amount of jet lag just can get like a humongous. So, so there's something with the hormonal kind of activity. It's, it's also interesting that the females typically have more of this than male because they, their hormonal activity biologically is, is more intense. Um, so typically, if you talk about like a winner plus in our clinical trials, the women uh, individuals are suffering more than male. If you look at the jet lag, female seem to be having more of that compared to male. So it's, it's just kind of interesting in that sense. That, so, is, so. that, that is interesting. And, and I've found that to be true for myself. I, I've started flying a lot because my parents were divorced. And so I started flying um, back and forth from Colorado to California, which is not a long flight. But I started doing that when I was 
four or five years old, you know? And so yeah. I've been flying for a long time and I never noticed anything. I got off the plane. It was just like I was in a car for a couple hours and no problem. And then somewhere probably in my early thirties and yeah. it's gotten worse and worse and worse. Like to the point where, I mean, I, if I had, you know, I go to New York a lot for work and I usually work starting on a weekend, like a Saturday. And so I would go out on, you know, um, I'd fly out on Friday and try to get up the next morning and work, you know, which for me, the kind of work I do is public speaking and teaching these courses and stuff for like 10 hours. And I tried that once or twice and was like, nope. Then I tried going on Thursday and giving myself one rest day. Nope, still couldn't function. My cognitive abilities were just destroyed. So now I literally go out on Wednesday. I arrive, you know, in the afternoon and then I rest for the most part on Thursday and Friday. And by Saturday, I'm kind of ready to do my thing. So I've noticed definitely as you get older. And then another interesting observation for me, and maybe you might have um, something for this, is that if I fly, you know, I'm living in LA. If I fly to New York, I recover much faster heading east than I do coming back. When I come back from New York to the West Coast, I mean, I'm just absolutely wrecked. Do you know why that would be? Because from my research on jet lag, it seems for most people, it goes the other way around. Yeah, that's right. But is it in a way that, uh, that's right. So I was just kind of really figuring in my head that, hey, this goes the other way around. So typically it should be worse. So it's more difficult to adapt when you're traveling east, right? I mean, without diagnosing you too much, <laughs> but uh, I'm not the doctor, so I can't do it. But uh, but but it 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 could be that uh, it's just a combined effect of you're flying first to east and and not kind of adapting, or then just about to adapt to the time zone over there, and and then flying back, you know, to west coast and 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 then kind of being not able to adapt again. I mean, typically. The adaptation is like a one day per time zone. So if you are kind of a two to three days without human charger, and then you should be adapted uh, when you're flying from west coast to east coast. And then when you're flying back, it's another like two to three days. And, you know, with human charger, you can make that faster. But, uh, but, but those are, I don't know how much time you're spending on. Yeah, no, that actually, you know, it's funny. I never thought about that because I usually go out to New York for two weeks at a stretch. And, uh, and I think I am just really, really like recovering from the flight out there for, as I said, for the first few days. And then I sort of acclimate to the time zone and then I'm coming right back. So you're probably right. It probably is the compounding effect of having two back-to-back trips like that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, if you would kind of do a test for yourself that you first try, you know, fly like uh, <laughs> three hours west and, and then you kind of examine yourself and then you do different tests and, and then, you know, two months after you fly three hours, you know, east, you would probably kind of see that, you know, the difference like any other human being, I guess. I mean, this has been studied a lot and, uh, and it is just in a way that uh, when you're traveling west, uh, you know, it's easier to adapt to the clock changes towards that direction than towards east. Right. And also, I'm wondering if you would think it better to fly during the day. Like, for example, say I leave L.A. during the day. I, I like to leave L.A. during the day and arrive in New York, hopefully when it's still light out. So it feels on some level like it's just been, you know, a day, right? If I leave here and then I land in New York at night, 
it's a little bit weird. Um, but when you fly during the day, there's another added element of fatigue here, and that is all of the solar radiation. Because when you're up in a metal <laughs> EMF ball, basically flying mm. through the sky, you're you know 30,000 feet closer to the sun, which of course is totally unnatural. So there's some you know some risk involved in flying during the day, which would mean you know you fly at night and the sun's obviously much further away. But uh, I just don't like flying at night because it seems to screw up my body clock even more. It's just so weird to take a red eye and it was dark when you left and then you get there and it's light. Do you have any any suggestions for our listeners in terms of you know, flying at night or daytime or how to manipulate the time zones? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, of course, this is like all individual. So, I mean, we are reacting so differently to light, uh, but... In general, what you just described in a way um, that if you are flying during the daytime, so it's, it's, it's light there when you are taking off and it's light when you are landing. And, and then you are you know, either making your day shorter or you are stretching your day for a few hours. Uh, that's, that would be best from the circadian rhythm perspective because you are basically just like having a little bit longer day and a shorter night obviously or you are having a longer night if, if you follow me yeah. and uh, and and uh, it's not kind of a abnormal it's not totally abnormal uh, that's what your body would be expecting right uh, that's what your circadian clock would be expecting so so that i haven't been reading about that solar radiation but it's right what you said is that you are so much closer, and, and, and then there's obviously atmosphere uh, that is taking a lot of the energy out of the out of the solar radiation. Um, when you're up there, you don't have the atmosphere, and you are you are a lot closer. Yeah, from exactly. That perspective as well. So uh, there's a less atmosphere between you and sun. Right, right. On the space sense, it's probably a minuscule amount if you think about how close so far away we are from sun in, in earth but right uh, but. right i think it's just a matter of you know as I, I keep going back to is just we're endeavoring to do something that's just so not natural you know yeah. so there's there's going to be problems inherent to that so we have to find ways to sort of you know hack that and still have the benefits i mean i don't care how much flying screws me up i'm still going to go around the world i mean there's places i want to go people i want to see travel has been one of the most consciousness expanding practices of my life and will I'm sure continue to be so it's worth taking the hit but any little thing that I think we can do to bring our best selves to our destination and really be able to enjoy our time there rather than spending so much time in recovery is definitely a step in the right direction and as I said um, you know the human charger for me is has definitely been an amazing add-on. I'd say it's it's in my top three <laughs> recommendations to people who also have the same issues that I have. So yeah. you know, I'm just I'm very grateful that it's come along, and you know, I'm yeah. looking forward to you know, to yeah. like we said that the light revolution, where you know, more techs and startups, and even some of the big corporations yeah. like Philips and all of these kind of catch on to the fact that you know, the light in general really has either a negative or positive effect on yeah. human biology, and that we can actually use it for positive, for good. Yeah, that's right. I totally agree. And then, you know, really glad to hear that you are enjoying the device. So Yeah, it's amazing. It's the, it's the best feedback. I mean, you said when we started that you have been 
performing musician, I guess, so playing in a bands and all that. So you know that when the audience is like clapping their hands and hooraying for you it, and, you know, going all around crazy, it's like, yeah, you know, this is why we are playing, right? Absolutely. And the same thing with the products and startups and, you know, companies is that you are not doing this for money. So, so that's not the motivator here. The motivator is in a way that if you can produce something that has an impact and, uh, and, and these sort of things, I mean, it's, it's nice. Uh, during winter time, you know, to get the emails from, from people who say that, you know, this is a real productivity savior, so I'm totally useless without this. And now I'm using this for the fifth year in a row and, and I'm just like a different person or, or, or I'm, we are getting an email from an busy executive who is basically saying is that, you know, without this, you know, my productivity is so low when I'm traveling all the time that this kind of increases my productivity to the levels where it should be. And it, I'm kind of gaining additional hours in a day. So it's, it's obviously nice. Absolutely. Yeah, I just love to support companies that are doing something positive. And when I discover something, I tell everyone about it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I'm like the geek that gets into all this stuff. So if friends or clients or just, you know, people in general are having a particular issue, they're always like, Luke, what do you got for this? And I go, all right, let me see what I've been working mm -hmm. on lately. And, you know, there's a lot of things I discover too that I get excited about. And then I sort of discard them after a while because I don't see a lasting benefit. But this is, I think this is sort of, for me, stood the test of time and proved to be beneficial. So yeah, it's really, really nice to hear. Yeah, for sure. So Timo, as we come to the end of the show, I'd like to ask you uh, my final question. And that is, in all of your life, you know, and this is going into a philosophy, a religion, a book, a mentor, a film, anything that's been influential. What are three recommendations that you could give to uh, for someone to study? So you've obviously learned from people you've studied, and you're sort of our teacher here today on the show. Who have you learned for from, or what have you learned from that you could share? Three tips. Yeah, and these can obviously be, you know. From wherever, right? So yeah, I mean, it could be Buddhism, my grandma, your favorite book, uh, you know, anything that's been yeah, influential. No, that's yeah, that's great. So this kind of a sounds really silly. Uh, I mean, the whole of my life, uh, I've been making things shorter. You know, in, in in business, you know, you write powerpoints, right? And uh, and 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 then you you kind of synthesize things. So you make things shorter and more snappy and, you know, good looking and Excels and PowerPoint spreadsheets and, and, and all of that stuff. And, and, and then I decided to uh, try the opposite. And, and, and then I actually wrote a novel. So a, a real kind of uh, action novel about, you know, the chronicles of a startup entrepreneur type of a thing, which was partially fictional and, and partially not. Uh, it was a good seller in, in Finland. It was in Finnish because I, I can't really write in English. Uh, it was really an experience that stopped me for a while. And, and it stopped me because I had a really good editor who was working with me. Uh, I had been writing the book for six months and uh, I was totally jammed. Uh, you know, the guy took my writing, uh, he read it. Uh, we met and, and, and he gave me two papers where he had, he had restructured the whole book. And when I looked at those, the whole thing totally kind of opened in the front of my eyes. I, I literally get this kind of enlightening feeling that, hey, now I know how I complete this thing. And, and what I'm trying to say here is that 
it doesn't matter who is the mentor, whether it's, you know, Dalai Lama or whoever it is. But, you know, if you have an expert that can teach you something that is out of your comfort zone, that is a real expert in something like this. My editor is a real expert, you know, in, in editing novels. I just realized how little I know about that. So, so what I'm just saying is that I'm, I'm really trying to get this sort of experiences, getting out of my comfort zone and having a person who knows that thing a lot better than I do, you know, cranking it together with me. I, I don't know if this makes sense or if this is like a totally weird. No, I not mean, at all. Yeah. It, it, makes, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's, yeah it, it, it makes you so humble in a way that, hey, you know, this, I've been thinking about this for months. And then this guy just looks, looks at it for a couple of hours and he can totally blow my mind. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. it's kind of these feelings that, hey, you know, there's a lot of things I can still learn kind of a moment. And the lesson is having the humility to ask for help. You know? Yeah, that's, that's right. That's the lesson. And, and, and that's the specific event uh, where, where I, I kind of learned it. Cool. Uh, then, the, then the second thing uh, is a general... Uh, like people want to be successful in their lives uh, and, and I'm obviously in a kind of a startup community and, and, and people are doing a lot of startups and, and all that and some people are successful and some people are not and, and all that. When I was younger I had a really big urge to be successful, you know, to, to build a company and, and I sell it at a high price which I, I eventually did uh, but it was not obvious and, and, and during that kind of uh, I did a lot of soul searching that what if I'm not successful, what, I, if, what if I'm not making it, you know, is somebody going to laugh at me or something? And, and then I just kind of concluded in a way that it's, it's, it's a lot better to just be yourself and, and for example in a startups, I mean one out of ten is successful. Um, well my first one happened to be, be a good one, but when I was on my fourth, kind of my fourth one, and the first one was still going on, I was kind of thinking, hey, I'm, I'm on a number four out of 10, and then I still have six, six shots to make, and it's still a lot about luck and you know, being at the right place at the right time. And that was kind of, uh, I mean, there was not a specific like a teacher or, or any kind of a role model, but it was just about this kind of a realizing that, you know, doing your best is enough. I guess that that's, I don't know again if this really answers your question, but uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like a big idols or kind of a big yeah. teacher. So I'm not kind of lining up like Dalai Lama is my big, you know, savior type of a things. I'm, I'm more kind of a trying to pick up things and kind of a combine them from multiple sources. But I guess that that's the second big like uh, thought that I have. And it has made me a lot more relaxed and a lot more like... Uh, focusing on a moment and, and just focusing on doing your best and, and then it's typically enough. Yeah, no, that's I totally qualifies. You know, there's no right or wrong answer here. It's you're giving me two great principles. The first one I guess you could summarize as humility and this one would be uh, abandoning perfectionism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah that, that's what, that's what I'm hearing. And and both of those like we can yeah. never really get too yeah. much of it, right? Yeah. I mean yeah, that's in producing this show, I mean, it's funny. Actually, I just it's it's funny that you said those two things because I was writing out episode one, which was like the hardest thing to do, and that was uh, you know coming up with my story. And so I had to kind of bullet point out my life. And of course, when I did it, I was totally obsessive about it, and it would have been a six hour episode. And frankly, I'm not famous enough to warrant that kind of attention. So I gave it to a friend of mine, and uh, 
and she sent it back and had just annihilated this kind of script, you know, a bullet point. She just she took all the funny stories out, all the hardcore stories, and just it just like gutted this thing, you know. And yeah. um, and but she was absolutely right, you know. It's like I had to hand it over to someone. And go, God, I'm I'm never going to get this done unless I just admit kind of defeat and that I've gone as far as I can with it. And um, and it was so helpful. And then the other side of it is like not wanting this show that we're recording right now to be perfect. It's like, hey, I, this seems like a good interview to me. I hope people like it, but <laughs> it's just a goddamn podcast. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I'm not that important. It's not that important. You're not that important in the great scheme of things, right? So just doing the best you can, and, and it's about the journey and not the destination. So those are both great. What about number three? You have like a, a book or a film or a piece of music, anything. Yeah, that's right. So um, it's... Um it's um, <clears throat> then the third one is uh, probably you know the American listeners wouldn't recognize so so uh, but the Finnish ones if you have a lot of Finnish friends there's a Finnish like uh, like uh, artist or painter who who used to be there in the 1800s so it's you know 100 plus years ago and uh, and and he was a very like uh, and I guess that there are figures like that in in throughout the history who are just like very determined to work for their own kind of uh, position in the world. And I could say that to work for their own success, but, but some of these people are not like success driven. They are more about driven by, you know, getting something done, if you understand what I mean. And, 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 and this guy was, for example, his name was Axel Galen Gallela. And he was, for example, saying, and, and he was basically dominating the European like a painter scene you know, during his own time coming from Finland, it was a really big thing. And, and, and he basically said that, you know, he wants to be the best or the worst <laughs> and, uh, and, and he will work to be the best, but he might end up being the worst. But, but if he knows that he has done everything that he can, he can still live, kind of live a happy life. And that has been a little bit of my guiding principle. And of course, doing your best doesn't necessarily always mean that, you know, you work 24 seven for, you know, 50 years. And, and you get to the corporate VP level at, you know, PepsiCo or whatever the big, nice companies. But it can be that you are working hard for what is valuable for you. And, and, and I have a very high respect for academic people, for corporate people, for startup people, uh, for janitor in our house, because he's really happy doing what he does and he does it really well. So I have a very high respect for people who are happy in what they do and then they are doing the best what they can in whatever they are doing and again i need to ask you if this makes any sense so if this sounds like Absolutely, a total man. crap but uh, I, I i'm not kind of valuing individual space yeah their, you know no, I, re I totally or, respect that you, yeah. you're giving me three great principles of philosophy right and it sounds like your painter which i would love to say i'm going to put in the show notes but i I bet that my, my producer is going to email me when I submit this and go like, um, what did he say? I can't find yeah, this. That's <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's okay. I, you know, I don't know that anyone's necessarily going to obsess yeah, yeah. on finding the painter. But what I, what I heard in that was that this painter, this Finnish painter, was more interested in what he could contribute than yeah. the outcome of his labor. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah, that it was about yeah, that's right. like... Yeah, that's right. What your life is more about what you give and what you leave and what you provide others than than uh, the results of what you're trying to do. Is yeah, that a good right. summary? 
Yeah, that's a good summary. That's Perfect. a good summary. Yeah. Perfect. So, okay. I'm sorry that I couldn't give you like Don't a few even. big world figures. I mean, no, man, no. This is this is why I love this question because it's pretty. It's fairly vague and open ended, and I love to see what people come up with. I mean, it's always something different, you know. So it's great. So in closing, uh, tell us whatever links you'd like us to know about Timo. Where can we find you or Human Charger? Where do you want people to go to find out more about you? Yeah. So you yeah. So yeah. So the Human Charger is a simple one. So it's a humancharger.com. And that's the best place. So you can get all the links to other places where, you know, you can read more about it. I think that that's like the best humancharger.com. I'm on Twitter, Timo MJ. So T-I-M-O-M-J. Uh, and, and then, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. So if you type Timo Ahopelto, you can probably find it from the show notes, how this complicated Finnish name is done. There's only one Timo Ahopelto because it's not a very common name. There's only 5.5 million Finnish people and my last name is not that popular <laughs> in Finland. So you will probably find the right guy. Awesome. We'll definitely put that in our episode upgrade and our show notes. So in closing, Timo, my Finnish buddy, I want to thank you for being on the show yeah. today. It's been a real treat to get to talk to you and I hope to do it again soon. Yeah. Hey, thanks. This has been great. The end. It's all over. That's the end of this episode. Kind of makes me sad in a way when we have to end the interviews. But listen, life must go on. I know you got to go to work. You got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. Timo had stuff to do. So we out of here. But I'll tell you what, I'm pretty inspired to go take a trip now, aren't you? Now we can travel a little more safely and a little more restfully after learning all about hacking travel and jet lag. So thank you so much for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, which I'm pretty damn sure you did if you made it this far into it, I'd love for you to go to lukestory.com forward slash support. And there you will find not one, but three easy ways to help make a monetary pledge or contribution to the Lifestylist podcast. If you're unable to do that, it's all good. Just promise me you're going to come back next week for episode 29 with the Jing Slingers, where we talk about all things healthy eating. So we cover veganism, paleo, how you can make amazing desserts, how you can infuse them with tonic herbs. It's all about eating the most delicious and healthy food ever and how to avoid the toxic food in the grocery store. So this one's all about eating. If you're a big eater and you love food, you want to catch number 29 next Tuesday, okay? And don't forget to go to lukestory.com and sign up for my newsletter so I can notify you every week when I drop a new episode. You'll also be notified when I release some video content or when I'm a guest on another podcast. Additionally, something amazing about the newsletter is that I send you the show notes with all of the links and resources that I discuss in every single interview I do. So you don't have to stop and remember anything or write anything down. Babe, I'm going to email it to you. Boom, right into that inbox. Okay, so go to lukestory.com and get on that newsletter ASAP. Peace. I'd like to take a moment to, again, thank today's sponsor, Four Sigmatic, and remind you to go to foursigmatic.com and enter the code THELIFESTYLIST to save 15% off the world's most chronic herbal and medicinal mushroom elixir blends. I would again check out the reishi, chaga, lion's mane, cordyceps. These are really convenient, super potent standalone drinks that are really easy to make 
or great add-ons to your bulletproof coffee or other drinks that you might be making at home. And it's just infinitely easier than having to empty hundreds if not thousands of herbal capsules into your drinks like I did for about 15 years before these guys came along. So really convenient, super tasty, very potent mushroom and herbal and superfood elixirs from foursigmatic.com. And don't forget to enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout to save that sweet 15% off. 